Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. Well, if that didn't bless you, what our choir just did, I think you left your wood out in the rain. Amen. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. Well, I won't tell you what, folks. I do pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. When you say the Pledge of Allegiance, you need to remember that phrase, under God, there is no comma. You don't pause. It is one nation under God. And I say that and recite that pledge because... We are uh, living in a day in the American church, Brother Vince, that uh, to me is uh, going in the wrong direction, at least in the sense of patriotism. Uh, I I will tell you, patriotism is a context of worship. We are thankful for our nation. I'm thankful for what was done, what was declared in 1776 on July the 4th. And uh, churches today are pulling the American flags from their buildings. One major church in Louisiana, uh, just uh, on its campuses, campus-wide, said we will no longer contain the flag of the United States of America. Now, I just don't understand that. Now, the guys who are doing that event say, well, you don't understand it because you're old school. Well, they need to go back to school, amen? (laughs) Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and I want to tell you what, I'm going to keep that flag on our platform and keep it it flying. Uh, You know, it's our freedom, and we're thankful for it. We get to preach to God. Look, I was thinking um, last night about some of the wonderful people through the years that I've had the privilege of being a pastor to who served our country. And uh, years ago, before our children were born and Tracy and I were uh, newly married, we pastored a little church, uh, my second church, uh, right out of college, uh, just across the line from Shreveport, Louisiana, up there in northeast Texas. And there was an older lady in that church, we called her Mom Frizzell, Miss Frizzell, Mom Frizzell. And I would, I would visit with Miss Frizzell quite a bit because she was just um, lonely sometimes and she just um, was a, a precious saint of God. Um, and uh, she, had a, she had a big old wooden spoon and wooden fork on her uh, wall in the kitchen. Y'all remember those? Big old wooden. And uh, I would go sit and, and drink a glass of good old-fashioned American sweet tea <laughs> with her in, in the hot afternoons. And I told her one day, she talked about her death, and she goes, and you, you've been a blessing to me. Is there anything you want? And I said, Miss Brazell, Mom Brazell, I want that big old fork and spoon. And she goes, well, it fits your mouth. <laughs> Amen. Well, that wasn't a, she loved me. You laughing at me, you don't love me. She loved me. But I thought that was something. But her, her husband was a World War I veteran. I never had met him, but he was a World War I veteran. Yesterday, uh, Friday, I uh, conducted the funeral for a Vietnam veteran, a pilot who flew missions over Vietnam, served their country. Now, can you imagine me saying to those kind of folk, and to many of you who are veterans and some active military in our church, can you imagine me saying, we're no longer going to honor the Lord 
for blessing us in this country by pulling down the flags. Can you imagine that? I, I'm, well, I'm just not going to do it. And uh, one of the young preachers wrote and asked the question, uh, why would you have the flag on your platform? Because we're Christians, not nationalists. Well, I want to tell you what, if it wasn't for the nation of the United States of America, a lot of people in this world wouldn't be Christians because of our freedom to preach the gospel. Amen and amen. Well, um, I need to move on to the second sermon. So open up your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. And by the way, every sermon is a, is a patriotic sermon because if we're going to if we're going to see the salvation and the deliverance of America, we had better get back to the Word of God and all of the Word of God. Amen? And uh, so I'm going to preach the Word of God as we've been doing these last several uh, months through Second uh, Peter. And today the subject is, Beloved, work till Jesus comes. Work till Jesus comes. Uh, Appreciate Jay singing that old, leading us in that old hymn. That's the first time I heard that hymn in a long time. Work till Jesus comes. Amen. I think we live in a generation that's going to play videos till Jesus comes. Or watch television till Jesus comes. But uh, we need to work till Jesus comes. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 15. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which... The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting until the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Is salvation. There are two different days mentioned in our text. The first is the day of the Lord, verse 10, and the second mention of a day is the day of God in verse 12. You can read about the day of the Lord and the day of God throughout the scriptures among other days that God has so designated before the foundation of the world to take place, to come upon us in time and in eternity. Kenneth Weiss, the great Greek scholar, uh, wrote his uh, commentaries, his Greek-based commentaries entitled Word Studies of the Greek New Testament. And in his commentary on 2 Peter, he outlined the different days that God has prophesied and God has established in this way. He says, first of all, there's four days. One is the day of man. This is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, literally translated man's day. This day began when Adam fell and the whole creation was launched under the sin curse. It will last until the second coming of our Savior. And it is marked by man's sin. And according to our text, it is marked by men scoffing about God, against God. Scoffing creation and scoffing consummation, His second coming. It's a time when the permissive will of God allows man to do as he pleases. It is a time of God's patience, but man's wickedness. I think you would agree that we are living pretty much in the day of man and have been since the fall. 
in Genesis chapter 3. The second day is the day of Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul writes to the Philippian church and says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. It is the day that we look for, that the beloved who are mentioned five times in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, marking off each five of the sermons we're preaching from 2 Peter, the beloved, the saint of God, the Christian. It is a wonderful day coming, the catching away of the beloved into heaven, the bride of Christ being taken to heaven, literally, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, snatched out from this planet, just snatched up. Won't that be a wonderful day that's coming and it is imminent? And then the third day is the day of the Lord. This day is described in the Old Testament, and we have been dealing with it in 2 Peter, and we'll talk much more about it when we go into Obadiah in a few weeks. The day of the Lord. Both Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles and even the Lord Jesus himself wrote of the day of the Lord. Scripture indicates that the day of the Lord is in two different stages. One of them, one stage begins right after the day of Christ, right after the rapture of the church. We know it as the tribulation, seven years of the wrath of God poured out and man's sin just being without restraint upon this world and this planet. At the day of Christ, the events will begin. And it's detailed in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. The second phase of the day of the Lord will be after Christ returns and has established His kingdom. It is the day or the stage that is mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 3. So you have the day of man, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, but also Peter mentions the day of God. This is the day that begins at the great white throne judgment we read of in the Revelation. When all who are condemned in their sin, when judgment will be meted out upon them. The books will be opened and they will be judged according to their sinful works. No believer will stand at that judgment. If you're saved, you have been judged for your sin 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. But if you are not born again, your judgment will be meted out then. All who despise God are judged, the Bible will say, says. The eternal state begins and the new heaven and new earth where we will be forever in our eternal state. I don't have a clue what that will be like because I've never experienced it. And you don't either. But it's got to be better than this. Amen? And it will be the day of God. Peter mentions two of those days in our text, the day of the Lord and the day of God. So very briefly, let's talk about the day of the Lord in verse 10. Our text tells us two things about the day of the Lord that we need to highlight this morning. Last week we spoke of it, but today we need to highlight two things. First of all, it is unexpected by the world. The day of the Lord is unexpected. One reason it is unexpected is because the world just lives their life. No thought of God, no thought of right and wrong, they just may even do their best to live right, but they have no concept of the things of God. Do not consider what the Word of God has to say about the course of history and the future of this planet and their future. And they just live their life. Another reason it's unexpected is because of the scoffers that we have been dealing with. Those who say, I can live like I want to live. I can live like I want to live. God's not going to judge us. There is no judgment coming. It, it's been the same ever since our fathers died. Nothing's going to happen. Well, it is unexpected. Once again, 
It's not unexpected to the Christian because we've been given the inside truth. We know it is coming. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, For yourselves know perfectly, talking to Christians, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, the scoffers, the unbelievers, elected officials, tyrants, when they shall say, peace and safety, peace and safety, everything's going to be all right. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. What a wonderful day to live. We know the thief's not coming to our house. Wonderful. So it is unexpected. But a second truth about the day of the Lord is it is universal. The day of the Lord is universal. The Bible teaches us here in verse 10 that the whole creation will burn up. It'll melt with fervent heat the heavens and the earth. And everything, this is right out of the Word of God, everything that man has built, everything that we have established, everything shall be burned up. All the art, all the architecture, all of it, all of it will be burned up. Technology, all the works of man shall be burned up. The whole universe Now let's break this down just a little bit. There's three words we need to understand here in this verse 10. Look what he says. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night unexpected, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. A great noise. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word noise is the Greek word roizodon. And it is what we call in English an onomatopoeia. Not a potato, but an onomatopoeia. It is a word that sounds and is pronounced like it sounds. It's like the word buzz. It's like the word buzz. You know what a buzz sounds like? Buzz. Well, this is the same kind of word right here in the Word of God. It means a whirr, a crackling sound or a hissing sound. Rizodon, see? Rizz. When the nuclear tests were done in the Nevada desert, reporters wrote that it sounded like a crackling sound, a whirring sound. And the word Peter uses is the word that was commonly used to describe the hissing of a snake and the whirring of a bird flying by, the wings of a bird flying by. That's what he used, residon, great noise. And then he says, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Well, The word elements is the word stoicheo, which means the first thing in a series. It also means ones in a row or things in a row. When you were a young Greek student in in ancient Greece and you were learning the alphabet, this word was applied not to the written letters in a row, but to the sounds they made. Do you remember being in grade school learning the alphabet? And you had to write out A, B, and then big old, big old lines, and you had to stay in the lines. You remember that? And uh, then, they, then you graduated to cursive. Anybody remember that? Well, they don't, I don't know if they teach cursive or not anymore, but uh, you would also have to learn how to pronounce the words. And I can remember my teachers, they'd hold up, a little placard and have the letter on it and you'd say, ah. And then they'd hold up another one and if it had a line above it, what was that? Next week we're going to begin an element (laughs) for the rest of you. Amen. 
Buh, buh. You remember that? Well, that's that Greek word right here. And it, it is a reference to the very fundamental elementary components. Element, elementary components of what makes up the universe. The atom. The atom. And the Bible also says, it gives us a third word about how this is going to happen on that day. He says, the elements, the ah, ah, buzz, the very basics, will melt with fervent heat. The word melt means to loosen or to break up. It's just going to loosen. I imagine tomorrow y'all going to be making your cobbler and all that, and if you don't take your butter out today, you're going to have to loosen it up in the microwave tomorrow. Amen? And so it just means to melt or loosen. And that's what's going to happen to everything you see. Everything you see. Everything at your house. Everything. All the trees, all the architecture, all the art, everything. Everything's going to break up and melt away on this day. Now, we mentioned this last week, referred to it a little bit, and I want to refer to it again because it's one of the most encouraging things that we need to realize, one of the most encouraging things. Many Bible commentators would tell you that this describes the effect of, of, of nuclear weapons upon the planet and that this will be a description of a nuclear holocaust that will destroy the entire planet. That's what they say. I will tell you, however, I do not think so. I have a philosophical view about that. One is, I don't believe God is going to let some arrogant dictator or an incompetent political leader push a button and destroy all of his creation. But also I have a very biblical answer and that's what we really need to be concerned about is the biblical answer. Look at 2 Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, the Bible says God with the same word that He created it with he sustains it with His Word. That's why it's so important to believe the Word of God is truth without any mixture of error because if you don't, you're going to be panicking about what's going to happen to this planet. But the very same Word that said, let there be light is the very same Word that sustains light. The very same Word. And He says it's kept in store and reserved under the... Uh, under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. In other words, ungodly men are not going to be the instruments by which God judges this planet at the day of the Lord. They're going to be the ones He's judging. So let me just put it to you in the vernacular. God is carrying the football. And God alone has the codes. And God alone will push the button. And it'll be after the day of Christ. And so you say, well, how is that encouraging? Well, let me tell you how it's encouraging, folks. God is in charge. God is sovereign. God's in control. God is... is he's not going to let the day of man get so out of hand and beyond the restraint of His sovereign will. God is in charge. He was in charge in 1776. And he's in charge right now. He has never relinquished it. God is in control. Isn't it wonderful to be able to watch the news and say, Ha, 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 you don't have anything to say. God's in charge. Amen. He is in charge. And so... With that being said, now we get to the message. He says all this is going to happen. The very atoms are going to be consumed. And all that is 
in creation is going to be destroyed, melt away. And then he says, how ought you to live? What should we do with that truth? Paul talked about this. He said, he that has this hope in him purifies himself. Well, here we're looking at the day of the Lord. What do we need to do in terms of the day of the Lord? How ought a Christian to live with all of this? Well, he gives us three things, and I'm going to give them to you. Number one, we live with exclamation. We live with exclamation. Look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, everything that you have borrowed money for, everything that you have wasted money on, everything that was a good investment, everything we're paying taxes for, Everything will be dissolved, seeing that. And then he says, What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, as we read that, with English grammar, we think how ought you to live is a question. That he's asking a question. But he's not asking a question. There is no question mark in the text. This is an exclamation. Peter is raising his voice right here. He is, he is exerting air out of his lungs to be louder than he was in verse 10. And he tells us about the day of the Lord and he says, My goodness, folks, how ought you to be living? Because it's all going to be over with one day. And he gives us an exclamation. And he says, knowing that God is going to destroy this universe and judge it because of the sin and the sin curse and our sin, he says, what do you think you ought to be doing? This is how you ought to be living. The word ought is an old word. We don't use the word ought very much anymore. But it has the sense of moral obligation. When you ought to do something, you are doing it out of a moral obligation. How many times somebody ever do something and you went up and you thanked them and they just said, well, I just did what I ought to do. Well, that means I am morally obligated to do this. Well, Peter tells Christian folk, he tells us in the early, and this early group of believers, he says, this is how, uh, this is an ought to, folks. This is a moral obligation. All these things are going to be dissolved. You, beloved, ought to live in holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. Holiness speaks to our actions, the manner of our life, the manner of our behavior, what we do. Holy living, separated from the world. Holy living. And then he says, godliness. Well, godliness speaks to our attitude. Holiness, our actions. Godliness, our attitude. This is the motive of our life. The motive of our behavior. Basically, this is how a Christian lives. This is how a believer lives. He's morally obligated to have a holy lifestyle and a godly attitude. Especially considering the day of the Lord. And something is wrong. Something is amiss when a Christian is not living a holy life with a godly attitude. And you need to change. You need to repent. Confess those sins. Holiness. We've lost this kind of preaching in our country, folks. Huh? And so we live with an exclamation. We live loud. We live loud in holiness of action and godliness of our attitude. The second word is verses 12 through 13, expectation. How ought? What's the moral obligation? The Christian lives with expectation. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. See, the lost people. 
People without Jesus, they look for the day of the Lord, a day of wrath and judgment. But you're saved. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you've been born again, you look for the day of God. We do look for the day of Christ, the rapture, but we can even look beyond that for the day of God when He establishes the eternal state and forever and ever and ever we're with the Lord. The new heaven, the new earth, and all of its structure that the Bible tells us about. Looking, that's what we look for. That's what we long for, look for. Now, looking speaks of expectancy with earnestness. But not only looking, but hasting. We're going to talk about hasting the day of the Lord in just a few moments. But believers are looking. And we have a joyful expectation, a joyful anticipation of a new heaven and new earth in which dwells, the Bible says, dwells, settle down and take up permanent residence, a permanent home. We look for the day of God where dwells permanently righteousness. That's what we look for. That's what we desire. And why is that? Because it's put within us. It is what God has put in us. It has, it, he has imputed, put into our account His righteousness to us, and we want to live where we feel at home. We want to live where we feel at home. And this is why today, with all the debauchery and senseless murder in our country, it's amazing the murder rate now in our country. Now with all the rampant sin, can you believe it? Can you believe it that there's some people on, in our America and there's some people in our churches who are upset that babies can now live? My goodness. Unbelievable. But when you're saved, God has put an expectation of righteousness, of a home where righteousness, righteousness dwells. And that's why we Christian folk are uh, homesick more and more. There was an old gospel song, a uh, southern gospel song called, I've Never Been This Homesick Before. And folks, I want to tell you what. My prayer has turned more to even so come, Lord Jesus. And so we live with that expectation. This is why you and I who are saved and walking in Christ, while we have a sense of disgust right now with the rampant sin, flagrant sin, it's an incredible thing. When I first started preaching, the element of society that was far from biblical holiness and righteousness, the homosexual community, the abortion crowd, this is what they would say. Well, the Bible's not real clear on these issues, and your interpretation may be wrong. The Bible's not real clear. Clear. I can remember President Clinton challenging pastors and theologians, and this is what he said. There's a lot of wonderful theologians who believe the Bible just like you do who are unclear about abortion. And then it migrated. It migrated to, to this. Well, the Bible does speak against these things, but it's not the only holy book. It's not the only holy book. There's other books, and that book is just as good as the Bible. But now today, today it is this. We could care less about what the Bible has to say. Yes, we know what it says, but we could care less. We defy it. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the born-again bride of Christ, we have within us an expectancy and a desire to be home. You know what? God gave this. We see it 
you know, God tells us that he, he illustrates his truth in, in creation sometimes. And uh, birds fly south for the winter. God puts in them a desire to go somewhere else. Animals migrate. The great migration in Africa, the wildebeest, all those animals. God puts it in them every year to migrate somewhere else. That, that's true. That's what happens. And God has put it within the Jew to want to go home to Israel. But God has also put it within us to go home to a place where we're not an alien anymore. He's put it within all of us a desire and a homesickness for the day of God one day. If you've lost loved ones, you, you have it intensified in you. So how do we live? We live with exclamation. Live loud in holiness of action and godly attitude. Second of all, we have an expectation of a better day that's coming for the believer and a better day, the day of God. But third, the third way we live in light of the day of the Lord is evangelism. Evangelism. Verses 13 and 14 is evangelism. He says in our text, we look for the day and we hasten the day. We hasten today. The old timers used to say, when the last soul is saved, the Lord will return. The day of the Lord will happen. Well, I will say this. If you live with the exclamation of holiness and godliness and you can hasten the day of the Lord, you only do it with evangelism. We look for and we hasten the day. We get busy. We work till Jesus comes. We work till Jesus comes. And we do so with evangelism. There's three ways he tells me and he tells you, you, the layman, me, the pastor, you, the layman, me, the pastor, both of us Christians, both of us responsible for kingdom work, both of us responsible for service as the bride of Christ to our Lord and to each other and to the lost. He tells us three things, three ways to evangelize. Verse 14, whereby beloved, that's for the saved people, Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace. One way we evangelize is through and by way of the peace that resides in us. The peace of mind and the confidence of God. The peace that passes all understanding. If anybody ought to be tranquil and have peace in heart, in 2022, as major cities are burning down and the murder rates going extreme to the extreme and we live in a vile, un, uh, unsettling day. We sure, amen. Can anybody admit with that? Can you agree with that? My goodness. If anybody ought to have peace, it ought to be the born-again Christian. Look, if you watch the news... Regardless of what you watch, what station you watch, if you watch the news and you're unsettled and you're worried and, you're, and you are just uh, negative nilly and, and all upset about it, you got a problem. Either you're not saved or you're backslidden. Now that's good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen. The Bible says we have peace that passes understanding. The cross gave us peace with God. And the Holy Spirit gives us the peace of God. And we ought to be a people at peace. And we ought to be settled. We really ought to look at our lost friends and relatives and our lost neighbors and say, I'm not bothered. It's not going to hurt me. You're the one in trouble. Amen. Folks, there was a day in Baptist life where I would have gotten a bigger amen than that. Peace. We... we 
We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the ambassadors of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. He told us that we look for the day of God, not the day of the Lord. We believe he's in charge. I said a while ago, he's in charge and you got excited. Now have peace about it. Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind and be at peace with the Lord and in the Lord. I mean, uh, my goodness. We witness with our peace. If we're all hot and bothered and troubled and all that, <clears throat> there's no difference between us and the, and the guys you work with or the, or the people who are just so bothered and in trouble with your peace. Second of all, be a witness with your purity. Look what he says in verse 14. Without spot and blameless. Without spot. That speaks to character. Blameless speaks to conduct. To reputation. God says we witness with our character. Before Him. What He knows about us. And then we also witness with our reputation what other people say about us. Now, here's the deal. You can have good, strong character and a bad reputation, can't you? You can have good character, godly character, and a devil of a reputation. We live in a day where it's just not simply I disagree with you. It is I disagree with you and I'm going to do everything I can to destroy your reputation. So you can have character, good character and bad reputation today, more so than probably any other day. But I want to encourage you. Do you think people lie about other people? You really, you really think so? Folks, they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. But I want to tell you something. If you would just maintain your character before God, truth God always brings out, He'll take care of your reputation. Charles Stanley, I heard him preach many times, but one time in particular, and he preached to preachers and pastors, and uh, he gave us... Uh, Oh, a long list of pieces of advice he'd learned through the years as he pastored in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the things that stand out the most that I remember was, don't defend yourself. Don't defend you. Let God defend you. Maintain your character with the Lord and let God defend you. So you can have a good character and a bad reputation. You can even have bad character and a good reputation. That's called hypocrisy. Amen? Well, you really can't control sometimes your reputation because uh, people are people. Sin is sin. We're imperfect. But I want to tell you what, you can yield yourself to God and walk in the Spirit and you can maintain what God knows about you, your character. And He will always take care of your reputation. Only you, only you can give yourself a bad character. But you witness, you witness with your purity, good godly character and good, godly reputation. And it is a witness. And by the way, a lot of times when somebody is trying to impugn your reputation, it is because of your godly character. You remember that? We see more and more of that. You live righteously, you are hated. Jesus said that would happen. Remember what they did to Jesus? Wouldn't you say Jesus had a good character? Can you give me an amen on that? But what did the Pharisees try to do to his reputation? Huh? And I want to say this. You know, you know what sealed the deal on Jesus' godly reputation? The resurrection and his return. And I want to tell you what. Somebody may give you a bad reputation and you've had godly character. You might just have to wait for the resurrection. Amen? That's fine. 
And then we evangelize not only with our peace, not only with our purity, but notice with our proclamation. Look at verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And account, verbal, speak, give testimony that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering, and we are to take this time of long-suffering and patience when God is not bringing about the day of the Lord, when God is gracious and working and reaching out to the lost through us, yes, absolutely, through us, we are to use this time, use this time as God's patience and confront people with the gospel so that they can be comforted with the gospel and they can come to Christ. Look, he says, this time that we're in is the time of long-suffering. Let me, let me share with you about this. Look at, uh, if, I'm going to read Ephesians 5. And, and listen to this. He tells the Ephesian church, Wherefore, he says, Awake thou that sleep and arise from the dead. I think of Jonah. He, he was in disobedience. He wasn't interesting in, interested in evangelizing anybody. He didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel and, and evangelize sinners. He, he, he didn't want to do it. So we went down in the hold of a ship, and what happened? God threw a storm at them. That's what the Hebrew literally says. God balled up a storm and threw it at them. And the, the mariners down on the ship came down and said, Oh, sleeper, arise. Get up and help us. Get up and help us. You know what our world is doing right now is there's people who are saying, get up and help us. But the church is asleep in terms of personal evangelism. Some are even dead. Paul says it. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ will give thee light. Boy, he'll, he'll lighten you up. He'll help you. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise. Get your character right and your reputation will be right redeeming the time because the days are evil. These days we live in are evil, evil days. And I want to tell you it's time to redeem this time of long-suffering and evangelize, personally evangelize. God is manifesting His patience to this world, to our country, to your neighbors, to your lost relatives, to your friends. And it is time for you to redeem that time. Cash in on it and proclaim and give an account of the gospel. And be at peace so they'll see a difference in you. And be pure before God so you can back up the life of Christ. Speak the word of God like Paul tells us. A verbal witness giving an account. And Friend, I want to tell you, you say, well, preacher, it's 4th of July. Let me give you my 4th of July message. If America is going to be saved from the judgment of God, you and I are going to have to get Americans saved. Did you hear what I said? If we're going to see America saved from the day of the Lord, you and I are going to have to get Americans saved. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way to do it. And do it. Redeem the time. What day are you looking for? I pray you're looking for the day of Christ that's coming next. I don't know when, but it's coming next. But if you are not a Christian, I will tell you, without a saving relationship with Christ, you just look for the day of the Lord. Verse 10 is your day. Verse 10 is your 
day. I pray you're looking for the day of Christ. Let's stand for our song of appeal and we will give our invitation. As we bow in prayer, let me ask you just a series of questions and you prayerfully answer this. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you answer this. Answer these questions. First question. Do you know an American who needs to be saved? Are you praying for them? Are you willing, are you willing to proclaim the gospel to them? Are you living in such a way that is pure before their eyes where they see the difference? Are you maintaining the peace of God in these troubling times so they can see the difference? and say, they've got something I need. Second question, are you looking for the day of of Christ when He will redeem our bodies and draw us to heaven? Or are you looking for the day of the Lord in which His wrath, the eternal wrath begins? I pray you're looking for the day of Christ. Cole and I are standing up front, and we will help you Come to the Lord and be saved and be forgiven. We will pray with you and we will make sure you get all your questions answered. We will make sure that you have all the help you need to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're here for that. People are here for that. That's what we exist for. And you come, any decision you want to make to join our church, to unite with us, you come as a spirit leader. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.